I was like, you want to hear a hilarious song for that same air? And I tried to explain urgent to them and just just crickets, just nothing. D-O-A. They had imagine, no imagine if Glee had done Jukebox Hero and that became a resurgent hit. Jukebox Hero is weirdly slow. That song's incredibly slow. But urgent, I think oh, urgent's yeah. great. That's got that un, unacceptable sax solo. I love. Dude, I can hum. Entire sax solo, I memorized it. I can whistle it. I love that. <laughs> I mean, also, how many records are you going to choose with spaceships on the cover, Tim? <laughs> I think you're done. Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. To, to contracts are covered, correct? Yes, and torts and Bonnaroo. Those Don't are the get... three things that I cover contracts, in this office. Torts and Bonnaroo, I love it. I think that was a, a short play I wrote in 89. Uh, Jeff <laughs> Simons, you are outdoors. I am still at work. I'm at the, I'm at the uh, lovely Branson School in Ross, California, sitting outside on a lovely September afternoon. And what year is this for you at Branson? Uh, 31. <laughs> in fact, wow. Do you think like, I mean, I don't want to be grim, but when you go on to the next <laughs> world, are they going to not a good start? Not are a good they going to plant a tree for you or do anything like that? Do you think? I have not. Uh, I have not thought of that. Start. I imagine there's a, planning. I think there's an outside chance of a bench or a plaque or a tree or a bush or eternal an eternal flame. An eternal flame, less likely, I think. But uh, I, to be honest, I hope it's something that's in cement because trees get cut down and re-landscaped. Yeah, and... good point. Good point. Uh, cement. I'm in it, fast. by the way. For the you stay this long, you're in it for the plaque. Oh, oh sure. There's no question about it. Oh, you're gold right, watch. Like... Don't you think gold watch? No, we don't do that at the high school level. No gold watch. Wow. I might get a mug. There might be like a Branson <laughs> mug in the back they could throw my way. You know, uh, we give out a chair. Like an uh, actual chair? Or yeah, an actual after chair the with a, a nice, you know, backing. Maybe when when get... somebody leaves? No, no. Like when you when you last uh, a certain amount of time, you get a chair. Do you have a chair? Not yet. Remember my- oh, We my, do not get a chair. My that's, son that's stole my chair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Part of the Drive-In Podcast Network. Go to musiccitydrivein.com uh, where you'll, you'll mostly hear and read people who are much younger who won't be talking about potential gifts for their retirements. Um, <laughs> but Ben Barton, not only are 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys, we also do a little poetry on our podcast. Indeed. What do you got for us here? My beloved daughter, Georgia Barton, is a freshman at Reed College, and uh, they, she had a, like a like spat would be strong, but she had a discussion with her academic advisor. Okay. Her academic advisor was like, well, you know, you, you have to take a language. So Georgia's taking the like uh, intermediate Spanish. And he's like, okay. you also have to take like a science math class. And I would suggest you get that out of the way right away. So she's taking computer science. 
And then you have this required humanities class. And then he was like, you know, you should just stop there. Just take three classes. You'll have a half class that's like an exercise class. Don't overload yourself. It's COVID, everything else. This is probably a good, good idea from the academic advisor. Okay. Anyhow, Georgia was like combing through it. And she was like, I really want to take the intro to poetry class. Oh, right. And, she, and um, she's like, but my academic advisor is like, that's too much. And I was like, well, well, like, are you excited about it? She's like, I'm excited about it. And I was like, you answered that question. So she is taking her intro to poetry class. Let's go. This is the first poem that they covered. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's also a riddle. All right. So it's a Howard Nemirov poem from 1973 entitled The Spiral Way. It is a spiral way that trues my arc towards central silence and my unreached mark. Singing and saying till his time be done, the traveler does nothing, but the road goes on. What does this poem describe? A, a spinal tap tour? Close. It's a vinyl record. Uh, yeah. Isn't that freaking amazing? That's great. It's a spiral way that trues my arc towards central silence. Like in the middle, that's when the record ends and my okay. unreached mark. Singing and saying till it's time be done. That's the, that's the record. The traveler does nothing. That's the needle. But the road goes on. Huh. Isn't it amazing? So it's particularly apropos for us. And weirdly, like, I don't know. I found it kind of a powerful poem. I was digging it. As nice. we travel, I thought you were going to read road. George's first poem in Introductory to Poetry, which was called Take That Advisor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> that is great. Wow. We, I, I think we have um, upped the level of conversation on this podcast just by bringing in a poem uh, that doubles as a riddle. Indeed. That neither Jeff nor I got. Oh, um, dude, I didn't get it either. I mean, she read it to me three times and I had no freaking idea what it was about. <laughs> I was just going to yell time like Bilbo Baggins and hope that I was right. <laughs> Speaking uh, of time, we are in the year 1981. Time is marching on. I am 11 years old. You all are 12 years old. And we have uh, a Grammy winner for the ages. Jeff, did you get the email? Yes, I Hit did. It. It's the Grammy winner. Double Fantasy by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. People say I'm crazy Doing what I'm doing Well, they give me all kinds of warnings Save me from ruin When I say that I'm okay Well they look at me kind of strange Surely you're not happy now You no longer play the game People say I'm lazy What? Isn't it so beautiful that last week we paid homage to john lennon and then double fantasy is the following year well Do yeah it came out didn't it come out like two weeks before he was killed in 80 
And then it was sold like crazy because it was this kind of, you know, became the, it became the eulogy for everybody. Mm. It's a beautiful you, song too. That did you like the really album? Pretty. I like that song a lot. I like one or two others, but no, it's not a, it's not a strong record. It's a, it's a mixed bag. It is a mixed bag <laughs> for sure. Okay. Have you heard the whole thing? I never have. No, Ben. Okay. Oh, I've heard the whole thing. Yeah. Tell yeah. Me. So it's pretty much a single fantasy rather than a double. Ah. No, no, it's a double fantasy because Yoko is present. There's some Yoko. <laughs> oh, does she sing on the album? Oh, half the songs are hers. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a collaboration record. Okay. It's, and even the songs that aren't hers are heavily influenced. Like, like that song that we just heard, I assume John locked the door and was like, just I'm not home. Just tell her I'm not home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into 1981 proper. The first DeLorean rolls off the assembly line in 1981. Where is that assembly line? What country? It's not in the U.S.? It is not. No idea. Sweden. Northern Ireland. Oh, that's why he knows. Comes off uh, quite well with the DeLorean with the... The little wingtip doors. <laughs> yeah. They're sweet. By the way, uh, important fact about the podcast uh, this week. We have a new review on our uh, iTunes, and the reviewer says, perfect for commute. Nice. <laughs> I'll take that as praise. Right? That's sure. fantastic. I have aspired to be perfect for a commute for a very That's long, a long time. Commute that poor guy. Whoever um, wrote that is driving. That way... might be you, Jeff. You that's your actual I did commute. Not, I promise you it's not me. It would be perfect. Jimmy, for my is your commute. commute? You walk out your door and go to go to work, right? Yeah, it's about 500 feet. Yeah. And it's just like with your little footsies. Yeah, communal living here. In... Very nice. Uh but I've, hey, got the, I've got the seven to twelve minute drive to the office, okay. which is you just can I can't that. describe how much I love it. It's great. <laughs> So if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please put up a review and we might read your review on the air. That would be fun. And Especially exciting. if it's nice and to the point like that one. We can read them all if they're yeah. like three words long. <laughs> Even a haiku gets read. Now that we're reading poetry. We've also showed up on two more charts for a music history podcast. We are now ranked in Japan. Yes. Nice. And we were 21st this week in the country of Ireland. I think it's been about a year of me pushing Ireland on this podcast. I was going to say, hence the shameless DeLorean placement in the 1981 <laughs> well, That's history. Northern Ireland, once again. Trying to get us to the top uh, 20. So I have, I have praise and critique. The first thing I'll say is the, the marketing people are killing it. Growth is great. You're doing an amazing job, Tim. Let's just yeah. be clear. You yeah. are the boys in marketing. I'll just go ahead and say our Twitter feed this morning announced our new podcast by saying not all podcasts are gold. Some are pewter. And then here's the link. What? I thought that was a little tough, Timmy. I'm just going to go ahead and be frank. I thought that was a little what bit What in tough. the hell are you And literally doing? a week ago, he was like, this is the best one we've ever done. And then he followed it up with this one sucks. Well, we got we it. the we... can. Some of those guys in marketing are going to yeah. get canned to me. It's I'm that it's that kid, that new intern. He's a little, fresh Some out of college. Are 
What, he's got, an, he's what got a little bad attitude. thing did you do that you're ashamed of that you felt like you needed to flagellate yourself on Twitter? <laughs> I was thinking guerrilla marketing instead of saying, oh, this is a great product. What if I say it's not? And then you were really a, zagging when you buzz. needed to zig to me. That's not going to work out for us at all. Oh, my God. The Pawtucket- if you like to read real bad reviews, I could share some of the reviews I'm getting of my new single, and you could really enjoy that. Oh, so. no. Oh, oh yeah. no. Emily? There have been, there have been some good reviews, but uh, good. not every, not everybody's a big fan. I love that song. My favorite one, actually, just like um, uh, Great for Commute, I also got a three-word review, which Ooh. was, you can't sing. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, the worst thing gonna... about that is that someone found the time to do that. That's the thing. <laughs> so you type, uncalled for. Don't you type you can't and then say, I don't have to. I don't have to. I can stop there. I can stop. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. That's a troll. Ignore the trolls. Don't oh, I know. The trolls. All right. The Pawtucket Red Sox played a 33-inning baseball oh. game, the longest professional baseball game. It took eight hours and 25 minutes they actually had to finish it on a separate date than when they started eight hours and 25 minutes don't give your answer out loud but think in your head of a number what's the longest time you would spend at a baseball game and have that number in your head and then i want you to answer for each other ben how long would Jeff Simon spend at a baseball Wait, and game? Is this, is this a Pawtucket Red Sox game? Or is <laughs> this like a game that he's actually interested in? I'm going to actually... By the way, the Pawtucket Red Sox game, I'm like, hey, look at that. I can get a hot dog. Oh, look at that. I can get a drink. I'm like, hey, look at that. It's been 10 minutes. I got to go. <laughs> let's, let's say it's a professional game, major leagues, and it goes into extra innings. What's your cap? When do you leave? Uh, I've got Jeff at three hours and 15 minutes, regardless. Okay. Like, that doesn't even have to be extra innings. I've got Ben at uh, two hours and 22 minutes. So this is a great topic to me because, you know, this summer, my buddies and I went on a baseball trip. One of my life goals, wise or not, is to visit every baseball stadium. Right. And I'm actually, I've been to 20 five baseball stadiums i'm really close to getting it done wow so we went to minneapolis and then we went to milwaukee and then we went to chicago and we saw a cubs game and a white Sox game and i picked up three new stadiums and it was my idea like i actually pitched this to these this group of my dear friends uh-huh. and the very the, like we get to minnesota and it's like an un, unaccountably hot day in minneapolis it's randomly like 99 degrees huh. We, everything got messed up. My buddy rented an RV. It's a much longer story, but everything is very messed up with this. Okay. We arrive, we're halfway into the first inning and it's a jillion degrees. And I literally turned to my friends. I was like, we don't have to stay for the whole game. Like, I just <laughs> want to be clear. Like we're seeing four baseball games in five nights. We can go whenever you want. And they were like, fucking guy, you, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> So my longest time in a baseball stadium is seven hours and 20 minutes. Whoa. Wow. I went, to a, I went to a double header where both games went into extra innings and we stayed for the entire thing, both games. The first pitch was at 4.01 and we got out of there at like 11.30. Very impressive, Jeff Simons. Well done. It was, I mean, I was with three good friends and uh, there were, it was an Orioles game in 1988. So there were only like 11 of us in the stands. So we could actually heckle the players to the point where they could hear us 
Wow. So, and we weren't going anywhere. It was amazing. <laughs> Timmy, how long would you last? Uh, I cannot. Yeah, uh, probably 16 innings. I would cap it. I love um, that you're like, I mean, I wouldn't stay more than double the length of a regulation game. Yeah. So I'm not 16 really 16 innings a fan. of Pawtucket Red Sox. And Timmy's like, these, these guys coming in now are real prospects. I like you it. You know, some guys are gold fans and some are just pewter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> All right. In 1981, three things are unleashed on the world. I want you to talk about which one do you think has been the most damaging? Crack cocaine, Donkey Kong, and paintball. Well, certainly put all together, it would be really bad. <laughs> this would be really, really bad. I'm going to go with crack cocaine because yeah, it's tore a nation in two, but I really don't like paintball. And I really, really don't like paintball dudes, enthusiasts. Not a huge Am I the only person here who's played paintball? I played oh, paintball. I played paintball. It hurts. I go for y'all. I got nah. hit in the eye. I did not like it very much. I well, you had that part. you had a mask on, right? Yeah, but it went inside. You know, like it went oh, inside, through. and like yeah, I yeah. had pain. Um, it was bad. Yeah, war as hell, Jeff. Oh, I, that's how I felt. I was like, <laughs> I did this to my as as it hits me. I'm like, you did this to yourself. I just kept saying that to myself for the entire event. So I went on a bachelor party. And we arrived, and in theory, it was going to be one half of the bachelor party against the other half. Okay. And that would have been fine because my buddies were not into paintball and it would have been fine. But we arrived and they were like, hey, we've got some good news for you. Oh, no. Instead of doing that, oh, we're no. going to do teams and it'll be your team against another team. And I was like, well, I'm not an expert, <laughs> but that's not good news. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, basically, like the semi pro paintball team from <laughs> Ramapo, New Jersey is here today. Delta. So it was like the eight of us against these like 15 dudes all in camouflage with like their actual old weapons and stuff. Oh my God. And I mean, it was like, I was bruised up all over. Like it yeah. was brutal. They yeah. went to town on us. And actually I got <laughs> shot and was like, I had my hands up and I was like, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm dead. And they were like, bang, 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 bang. Effort <laughs> as I was surrendering. <laughs> I've heard that story before and I that cannot hear it enough times. Awful. If you want to tell that two years from now, again, I would <laughs> gladly sit through it. I, I've got a, uh, a really difficult question for you. Which state was the first paintball game played in? Which state invented paintball? And it's a hard question, but once you hear the answer, it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense. I think New Jersey. I'm just going to go ahead and guess New Jersey. That's where I played it. Yeah. I'll you say did. South Carolina because that's the first shot in the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lift better yet. Yeah, Perfect. a lot of dudes in their basements. Long winters. <laughs> Long I think winters. the state of toxic masculinity invented paintball, Tim. I'm just going to leave oh, it at that. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Deep. You're welcome. Wow. Keeping the podcast Jeff honest Simon. here. Hey, let's go to 1981's best-selling album. I haven't this been this excited. This made me giggle so hard, by the way. <laughs> I, I love that this is the answer. Time. And Ben uh, is going to agree with me that it's not a surprise, even in the least. Come on, Ben. Once he, once he hears it. Guess the band, Ben. It's the number one album. High Infidelity by REO Speedwagon. That's all you need, right? You got oh, it? Oh, yeah. 
the worst perm in rock history, this guy. You should have seen by the look in my eyes, baby. There was something missing. You should have known by the tone of my voice, maybe. But you didn't listen. You played dead, but you never played. Instead, another minute and a half till you get the chorus but i can't stop loving you that's keep amazing on loving or you. keep on loving you that's it that's is that it. the biggest hit on that record yeah or take it on the run was the other huge oh one. okay huge yeah. hit yeah what do you but, think of aria Speedwagon, jeff simons i'm not a fan i mean i here's the thing like they're they're campy enough that I don't waste a lot of time worrying about them. I like that song Riding the Storm Out a little bit. It's really silly and big. And there's a couple of other 70s war horses that I can't name right now that they had. Heard it but, from uh, a friend who. Yeah, that, that one. Right. The, the thing about this record and that song is it's responsible for so many bad songs that follow. This is essentially Motley Crue's Home Sweet Home before Motley Crue rips this song off and creates uh, the and song also, Home Sweet Home. But the Home power Sweet Home ballad, is a better version. Home Sweet Home I is a better really, version. I really, really hate the power ballad. I never liked it. I never got the appeal. I never got the appeal. Like, it's just not a, it's yeah. like the, it's like a meme. You like, you know, everything that's going to happen before it happens. And uh, it does nothing for me. The appeal, so I'm not a big Speedwagon fan. The appeal is that sometimes toxic masculinity needs to share their feelings. Oh, I guess you're probably right. That's I did hold ride. hands with, I believe, Courtney DeVries at Skate World to this song. So we're going to have to confirm In that. that respect, it's the greatest song ever written because that was up to that point in my life the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> it is but even while, that was, even while that was happening, I was like, ooh, I don't like this song very much. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing about REO Speedwagon, and there's a bunch of bands like this where you're listening to it and you're like, I kind of miss Journey. Couldn't yeah. I listen to Journey? Like, right. and that's how bad it is. Where you're like, I really wish, couldn't we do another version of this that was better? It's amazing. Oh, hilarious. So funny. Um, ben Barton, this is where we turn to you and the law. I'm very excited. Sandra Day O'Connor is named to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. She is the first female justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, give me her highlights. What's, what's her career like? Any, oh, so any... I know a lot more about her pre-career. She's an amazing woman. Like, yeah, she actually, it's like, this is a little bit fuzzy, but she dates Rehnquist. Huh? She and Rehnquist date at Stanford. And then she, like, again, this is all allegedly. Then she, uh. not he's not for her, and she marries her husband. She graduates Stanford Law School, and because people are monsters, she cannot get a job as a lawyer the only job that she's offered is a job as a legal secretary. Oh my God. She moves back to Arizona where she's from. And by the way, she grew up at a freaking ranch, like wow. a ranch without electricity. Ranch in Arizona. In Arizona. Yeah, totally. She's like an actual frontiers woman. She's like the last of the frontiers <laughs> people on the Supreme Court. She goes back, hangs out a shingle, and she's a solo practitioner in Phoenix, Arizona, taking anything that comes in the door. Her friends are like, you should get into politics. You're really good with people. 
runs for politics. She's the majority speaker in the Arizona House. She's got a hilarious, and that this is when Republican politics were a little bit more fluid. She's actually kind of a pro-life feminist person. She gets into a fight with another member of her caucus. This is a male, elderly male senator from the great state of Arizona who says, if you were a man, I'd punch you in the mouth. And she says, if you were a man, you'd give it a try. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so good. That's so great. Good. Oh, yeah, great. totally. So I love her. I'm a huge admirer of her. Great trailblazer and pretty ballsy of, of Reagan to a pointer, just to be frank. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff Simons, he came through with my Supreme Court question. I'm hoping you can come through with my daytime TV history. Oh, question. God. All right. I like, that, I like that you've got equivalent intellectual questions for the two of us, too. Like, you definitely were like, Anything of substance goes to Ben and like, and now I'm like the last three minutes of the, of the local news. <laughs> Did you know squirrels could water ski? That's when I get involved. <laughs> the highest rated hour in daytime television history occurs in 1981. What was it that everyone was watching? Whoa. In 1981. It was the, uh, in the daytime. assassination of Ronald Reagan. No, no, it was okay. Not. I mean, if if it's a big audience, we must have known something was going to happen. Daytime, daytime, space shuttle. Ben, do you know? No, I have no idea. Uh, I guess you two weren't cool enough to go home and watch General Hospital like I was. Luke and Laura get married. I got to tell you, Luke and Laura's wedding. Me, if you'd given me 500 guesses and put a gun to my daughter's head and said, get this right or else she's she wouldn't have made it. I never <laughs> would have come up with that ever. And also, Timmy, just to be clear. Yes. My uh, mom's mom, my beloved grandma Vanderwall, lived <laughs> with us half the year oh. in the early 80s. And she was a CBS person. Oh, he declined the ABC. So if you were asking me about the bold and the beautiful You'd be or as the world turns, yes. then we'd have something. Luke and Laura. And also, I mean, you'd like maybe you I have no idea if your grandma was like this. My grandma was like, oh, oh, like <laughs> totally unacceptable. Those <laughs> suck. It's not that mine are better. It's like those are like a deficient product for idiots. Wait, the 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 ABC soap operas? Oh, totally. Oh, come on. Officially, there was three flavors of ice cream, right? And people yeah. felt oh really God. strongly about it. Like, oh. if you were a CBS person, you weren't just like, oh yeah, this is what I watch. Or, or and, and let alone, I mean, my grandmother, like, if I'd switched it, if I'd been like, oh, we should check out what's on NBC at this yeah. hour, she would have yeah. choked me. <laughs> <laughs> she had the little little Calvin and Hobbes peeing thing on the uh, oh, general totally. uh, logo totally. yeah yeah no well in the late 80s we'll we'll definitely spend some time talking about nbc's santa barbara good great okay Looking good forward to that <laughs> did you really watch general hospital like a I regular I, I really did yeah yeah wow right yeah that's interesting Mo moving on let's go let's go our three albums <laughs> Our three albums. You're this is up. unfortunate because I'm choosing an album that there's a 0% chance that anyone else will choose. And it's one of my most embarrassing selections, including The Stranger. 
I'm going to start with a question from my beloved India Kincannon that was echoed by her pal, Nina Plank. India was like, you and Jeff keep saying that there's these acts where you prefer the live version of the songs. Like, why would that be the case? The live version, she was like, I could see why you might not want to go see a concert, but why would you consciously choose to listen to a live version? Oh no. The, the recorded version, like they, like Fair they, question. this was great. Like India's the greatest. She was like, in the recorded version, they go to the studio and they yeah. record it. And then they, they get the best version of it. Right. And, and that's the version you get to listen to. In the live version, there are people yelling and it's not the best version. She's like, this is a puzzle to me. And I was like, smart super woman. fair, India Kincannon, super fair. And just to, to zero in on the Nina Plank tweet, even better, she was like, Jeff and Ben kept saying that they prefer the live versions of these Bob Dylan songs. She didn't come around and say it, but she's like, Bob Dylan sucks live. I don't yeah, know what she did say that. Basically, she said that. Um, so here's what I'll say about that. First, I'll defend, generally speaking, the idea of preferring a live version of a song to a recorded version of a song. And Springsteen is the perfect example, but there's multiple bands that are like this. A lot of these bands, especially the bands that Jeff and I love, came up as live acts. That's how they got signed. That's how they got popular. They built it on the backs of their live act. Then they get stuck going to the studio and they have a really hard time capturing that energy again. And you'll get a really flat version of it. You're get a too sharp version of it, or they're just not capturing what it is that they do best. So there are some acts and Springsteen is exactly like this. There are some Springsteen recorded ones I prefer, but there's not that many really, just to be honest. Like I just prefer the live, rec the live things. That's, that's first. They came up live. They capture the energy better live. Second, it's a mistake to think that you get all the best takes and you put them together in the studio some of these live albums, they record every show, the 75 shows, and then they choose the best version of it. So it's like you're getting the best version of the song. You know what I mean? Like they did it over and over and over again, and they have a really good selection of it. Um, the the uh, the Pearl Jam one live on 10 legs, that's what it's called, right, Jeff? That's right. That's a perfect example of that. They record for two years, and they just choose the best ones, and that's a fantastic live record. Then the live album, and I'm going to choose a live album for this year. Here's what's great about the live album. You don't have to buy a greatest hits record. It's embarrassing to buy a greatest hits record. It, it's a bad look to buy a greatest hits record. You're like, oh, I only like their hits. That, that's bad. But if you buy a live record, you're like, oh, I just like the live version of it you get the, you greatest get the greatest hits, hits you get greatest hits played faster yeah and not <laughs> only that it's it's the songs they actually like so like there's some greatest hits that they just leave out like it's not on the live record and that actually is pretty telling um so a classic example of this is my favorite leonard skinner record is the double live record like that record's great it's fantastic like it's better than any of the leonard leonard skinner records because first the versions are better second you get the play it pretty for atlanta third you get their like they they actually like picked out the songs they like best and and you know because when they play live they don't want to suck so they choose the songs that they think people are going to like best those are the ones to get recorded those are the ones that get played back that's my defense of why you would like a live version rather than a recorded version. And then just a mini one for Nina. Um, I would certainly not suggest that you choose a live Bob Dylan 2014 show as <laughs> yes. your Bob Dylan introduction. That is a very fair take. Yes. Um, Anything the, after 1976 is actually probably a bad call. 
Well, but I don't know, man, because some of the recorded versions are so crappy. Like, yeah. Really weirdly bad. And the mid 70s are like that. Those songs are so like this, like Desire. The songs yeah. on Desire are great. And the, the record is ver- poor. Yeah, the, the recorded record versions is- are bad. They're just yeah. bad. Um, and then, but on Blood on the Tracks, it's more of a mixed bag. But I mean, there's several versions of those songs on, Blood, on the recorded Blood on the Tracks that are not good, that are just yeah. like bad versions of that song. And he doesn't seem aware of that or doesn't care. I don't know the answer to that. But I mean, like they're just released that way. Um, it's actually the opposite problem with Springsteen. So why would I like the live versions of Born to Run better? He got so far inside his own head with that record. Like he just overworked it to the point where it's like, you know, it's a, a piece of clay that he's molded too much. I'm like, yep. the, when you do, when you hear the live version of Thunder Road, harmonica, piano, his voice, that's it. I'm like, oh, dude, I never want to hear another version of this. I certainly don't want to hear the recorded version of it. It's amazing. All of that being said, this year on 1981, I am choosing Exit Stage Left. Unbelievable. By your friends, Rush. That's what? right. That's right. What? That's what I'm choosing. Oh, yeah. I'm choosing a double live Rush record. And I'm going to totally make the huge error. Uh, Kevin Brown will not like this at all. I'm going to start with the reasons not to like this record. I just want to say that I have that for those of you listening at home, I have passed out in shock onto my keyboard. I will be back in a few minutes. Someone resuscitate Jeff. Songs six, seven, eight, nine, and ten on this record are reasons not to like this record. Can you name any of these songs? Six, I, I believe I believe Brune's Bane is in the oh, middle yes. of that little medley. Brune's Bane, a one minute and thirty-seven second finger-picking uh, acoustic uh, with no words. Almost uh, surely that includes Xanadu as well. Yes. Okay, that's yeah. that's number ten. Xanadu. <laughs> Side three of the record is just an unbelievable disaster. We start with Brune's Bane, then we get four minutes and fifty seconds of the trees. Oh, Jeff, that's would you a, like that... to tell the good people what the trees is about? I I, I don't want to um I don't want to make too many assumptions, but I'm guessing trees. <laughs> oh, Yoshi, you can't say. I thought for sure you listened. No, to no, I don't I know. Oh, it? oh, oh. Well, I've got some good news for you. Um, so there's like <laughs> the 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 rush catalog can be divided roughly into four quadrants. And I'll see if Jeff agrees with me. So the trees falls into the discount Led Zeppelin, discount J.R.R. Tolkien bin. So in the trees, the elves are walking in the forest and then there's a battle between the oak trees and the maple trees. That's the actual thing that happens (laughs) in the song. That is fantastic. And then Xanadu, the entire side three of this record is Brunsbane, the trees, and Xanadu. And Xanadu is the same thing, like discount mysticism, whatever. Then the record has a passage to Bangkok and Ooh. Red Barchetta and La Villa Strangiato, which I looked up, and that's the strange villa, in case you're wondering <laughs> what that's about. And this is the travel log version of Rush, where they're like, I'm on a train, I'm driving a fast car in Canada, or I'm in a weird villa. Then there's uh, instrumentals, and then there's the discount bin and rant. Those are the four different categories. That is such an ingenious (laughs) summary of these guys. You should should copyright that. That is the four different categories, and they're all well represented on this record. Uh, All of that being said, here's some reasons to like Rush. First, they can really play. 
they can really, really play. Second, another reason to like a live album is totally aside from the other things I said, sometimes it's good to listen to a live record because you're like, when you hear the studio stuff, you're like, could they possibly do that? Like that was one of the things that blew me away about seeing Van Halen live was that he was at least as good, if not better live. I was like, holy shit. Cause when you hear it on the record, you're like, well, they must've had 85 takes to do that. Nope. Like that night in Cleveland, he just went ahead and did it. And then he did it again in Indianapolis. Like he just could do that every night. And Rush is a little bit like that. Many of these songs have significant keyboard parts, which apparently Getty Lee played with his feet. <laughs> he's like trotting around on a keyboard on his feet while he's singing and playing bass. It's medium and Or the other way around. When he plays keys and sings, he uses bass pedals to play the bass part while he's playing the keyboards. No overdubs yeah. for these guys. Super intense. Um, the songs are really, really, really complicated. The parts are really, really complicated. I should be curious to hear what Jeff thinks. Um, Neil Peart is the only member that has a claim to be a, like an all-time Hall of Famer. Um, Lifeson, who's the guitarist, is great. But he's, it's terrible news for him that he came around at the same time as Van Halen. He's such a discount bin Van Halen. And that's not, I don't mean that as criticism. It sounds really mean. Being 75% as good as Eddie Van Halen means you're freaking awesome. Like the parts are great. He's a tremendous player. It's really, really interesting all the different work that he does. He's just not a top of the heap guy. Is that what Getty Lee's like? I think Getty's underrated. He's terrific. And he's, oh, uh, I think he's I, great, but he's not a top five. He's not a potential arguable top five. No, basis, no, no right? one ever brings him up that way. But I got to tell you, like some of the things that some of the top five guys play, I can replicate. And there's a lot this guy does that I cannot do. And I certainly yeah. can't do it while I'm singing lead. Oh, which yeah, is what no, he's doing, right. You know, and, and Neil Pert is just like off the hook, off the hook. Um, and he's it's great. We talked about Charlie Watts, I don't know, two or three podcasts ago. He is the exact opposite. He's the anti Charlie Watts. So first of all, his drum kit is like bigger than my office. Like He's got <laughs> like little drums and big drums and cymbals. And then he's got a freaking gong and he's got bells and he's got wind chimes. He, every single thing that you can hit and make noise, he's surrounded by. And then he's like a guy who lives in an eight bedroom mansion. And he's like, I sleep in a different bedroom every night. I don't want to waste anything. Like he's literally like, <laughs> he uses every one of these stupid noises. There's a drum solo. And I apologize for India can cannon. She has no use for a drum solo. There's like a four minute drum solo on the stupid record and YYZ. And he starts out just on the snare. And it's so technically amazing. Like I'm not a good enough drummer to explain why it's so amazing, but he's just working on one drum. You know, the syncopation coming off it coming out it and i was like holy crap like it's amazing it's like a jazz solo and then by the end he's like, like <laughs> drum all the symbols at the same time it cracks me up even the weird dumb songs crack me up i give them a lot of leeway because they can play and i'm sad to report of the different bins the discount and ran bend is my favorite i'm going to ask jeff to play closer to the heart this is a song that has come to be, and it says the men who hold high places, but I just mean people. I think they don't mean to be sexist about that. This is an actual mission statement song for me. In my work, writing, teaching, it's harder in faculty meetings, I try and bring it closer to the heart. Hit me, Jeff. Exit, stage left, 
by Rush. Thank you. I, I meant to ask you to wait till the carillon bells came. You can't have them at the carillon bells. Those are live bells played by the drummer. That is not a synthesizer, folks. Uh, that no, is the full. Sure. Wow. Super happy. And also, like, they, like the poor guy, like the drum tech. The drum oh. tech's like, oh, oh, good lord, the bells. Like every night, it's like every night I set up the heavy bells. I hate oh. those bells. <laughs> this song, this record's got like multiple endless songs yyz's seven minutes jacob's ladder which is really unacceptable 840 xanadu's <laughs> 12 minutes la via strangiato is is nine minutes this is a three minute and eight second song in out perfect one of the things that crazy it's crazy about them is their range one of the things that's really bad about them is their range like that their songs like in my opinion they're just fantastic fantastic rocks on this on this spirit of the radio free will tom sawyer closer to the heart are just all all-time bangers and they're in out great songs great lyrics and then you just go for a little bit of a meander along with it i'm here for it i love this one what you got timmy uh, i mean i got Stephen Fruman, a former student of mine, he and I just battled over Rush years and years ago. And Ben, as soon as you started talking, I, I said, you know what? It's time for me to grow up and reevaluate Rush. Uh, and then I started to hear him sing. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm all set. <laughs> it is a I'm going to double a, down a difficult voice to get used to. Um, one of the really things is. that will really help is if you watch the Rush documentary called Beyond the Lighted Stage. I don't know if I've ever loved a group more after watching a documentary than I did after watching the Rush documentary. I was just so powerfully moved by how much these three guys loved each other and just believed in themselves and made weird, weird music that sold, has sold 80 million copies. I, if you look at the like best-selling bands of all time, I'm not sure there's a weirder top 20 than these guys. I mean, maybe this, Metallica. As, Metallica's got to be there. Metallica is also like not what you would, you would, but those songs, Metallica's songs, especially from the Black Album onward, are rock songs. Like, like Russia's stuff is, especially in this moment when they blew open, is so weird. The record moving pictures that they were touring that on the shows that were recorded for exit oh, yeah. stage. You want to hear the track list of that? Oh, I could do it off the top of my head. Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta, YYZ, Limelight, The Camera Eye, all 11 minutes of it, um, Witch Hunt, and Vital Signs. 
That so is I thought not... you were going to run out of gas on side B because side A, you're like, God damn. I like know. You, like limelight finishes side A and you're like, you're like, I can't wait to hear side B. And you turn it over. You're like, hey, now. You're what, like, happened? what happened to side A? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I think it's great. You threw these guys some love. Um, I make a lot of fun of Rush, too. They're fun to make fun of. They deserve to be made fun of. They the worst onstage outfits in history. Um, but they have a Canadian self-effacing, uh, self-deprecating sense of humor that saves a lot of the goofy stuff. And they are great musicians and uh, moved through the world with like grace and gentle uh, desire to entertain. Like there's no rush behind the music because it would go blah, 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 blah. Still friends. <laughs> like there's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no moment where you could turn to Rush's career and be like, oh, well, that was when they all, you know, became dark souls. They just, they made some records nobody liked, but they, they all, they sure well, enjoyed don't, themselves. Don't while they, they made make- them. Don't they make records on a regular schedule, which is kind of weird? Well, they do have a wonderfully organized discography. Record, 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 live album. 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 And then uh, then they just were like, what the hell? We'll put out everything. And there's like 27 live records in the last five years. You know, I but saw yes, that- they were very, very careful to to to, you know, march in lockstep through their first like 15 records of their career. I watched their uh, induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where I guess it was the guitarist who got up there and gave a five minute speech where he just said, blah. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And it was like, oh, you're doing this. It's not just a three second joke. You're going to do a five minute joke where you pretend to give a speech, but just say blah the whole time. Sometimes... Sometimes, if I weren't out on them, (laughs) performance art doesn't work in every audience. Now, I'll listen to today's Tom Sawyer when the Von Erics enter the ring, but other than that, I'm out on Rush. Fair Fair enough. Well, my choice could not be more different than Rush. I'm literally not sure you could pick a more different band. So, we have we definitely have the Alpha and the Omega. Go uh, in 1981. So I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. I grew up in a weird town. Annapolis, Maryland is a colonial town. It, it, was a, uh, it was a port where the enslaved were brought in and moved around. It's where Kunta Kinte was sold. It becomes the, who is the uh, original ancestor of Alex Haley, who wrote Roots. It's also where the Naval Academy is. So there are buildings from the 1600s. There's a lot of very difficult history. There's a lot of very strange patriotism and nationalism and it's near Washington, D.C., which is also a very weird place to grow up. It's a weird place to be young, unless you really want to be a lobbyist. Like, if you're 15 <laughs> going on 50, D.C.'s great because you get all, you know, all the stuff you're excited to be a part of. But if you're just your average 15-year-old, like, it is a town that does one thing and one thing only. And if you're not interested in it, it's, there's not a lot to do, right? And yeah. there's also not a lot to do in an old historical town. Like, you know, they don't let you they don't let you be a kid around this stuff because you know, it's old and, and crumbling. So I have always felt a kinship with this band because they turned growing up in D.C. and being bored into an entire secondary movement of American punk rock. Um, these are kids who uh, were going to high school. They found each other as kind of outcasts and they watched the Woodstock movie together. And they were like, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I want to be in a band 
that brings people together the way people get brought together in the Woodstock movie. That, let's do that. So they go into their basement and none of them know how to play and none of them know how to write music. And so they start writing these really short, tiny 45 second songs where their lead singer is just yelling because he can't sing. And they're like, well, that, that's kind of cool. Let's see if we can unite the universe around that. It, not, it, it's really not dissimilar to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures and Wild Stallions. So they play a bunch of shows in garages and basements and they get about like a hundred people to like their band. I'm like, wow, we have like a hundred fans. We should make a record. They don't know how to do it. Nobody wants to sign them. It's like, well, it's just, how hard can it be? So I'm they go to their this. friend Don's house and he's got some recording equipment in their basement and they bang through uh, seven songs which take six minutes and 45 seconds to listen to. And they call up some friends, like, how do you make a record? And they find a pressing plant and they make the cover themselves and they handwrite all the titles on the seven inch and they make 300 seven inch singles and they sell them for a dollar and the friends buy them and they're like, well, that's it. And those, those songs become the genesis of an entire new American underground punk rock movement. They are as influential as Black Flag, or Husker Du, or the Minutemen, or the Meat Puppets, or Bad Brains, or any name, any band you want to name from the second wave of American underground music, this band belongs in that conversation. And you could argue from a cultural standpoint, they have an even bigger impact. And so my choice for 1981 are the, the guys that I grew up with. This is Minor Threat, and this is their first song, and probably their signature song. And because we're allowed to play a minute of a song. I get to play the whole thing. Yeah, let's go. So this is track one on Minor Threat's self-titled first seven-inch single. It's called Filler. Minor Threat by Minor Threat. A lot of the music I loved uh, as a teenager can be traced back to these little, this modest little disc. Um, we've already talked about where Ian Mackay goes from here. He forms the band Fugazi, um, which I also deeply loved. 
Um, and I, uh, it's easy to romanticize Minor Threat because they form the straight edge punk movement, which is staying sober. And um, they were very egalitarian from the start and, and uh, looked out for their fans in the mosh pit and, it, you know, challenged the kind of skinhead, violent, uh, dark side the, that was drawn to American punk music. And so they're, they are frequently uh, kind of thrown up as cultural heroes. And uh, I'm less interested in that. Like I just, uh, and I'm sure this sounds crazy abrasive to our average listeners. And uh, <laughs> they're like, wait, you're giving Ario Speedwagon a hard time. And that's what you listen to on purpose. Uh, and all I can say is that uh, all of that, that that vocal approach the the million miles an hour drumming the kind of razor wire guitar playing it it opened up a world of possibility to me in terms of how you were allowed to express yourself how you could take your rage and transport it into something else uh it has a bluntness and a vulgar directness to things that it finds unjust and intolerant that uh was a real shock to my system and encouraged me to speak up and encouraged me to stand for things, not just internally, but externally. And uh, I love this band and I love this record. Ben, what do you got? I dig this selection. I dig this record and I just love that energy. That energy just makes me super happy. I like, um, I've, I've listened to this record before. I like this record, but it makes me laugh. Like it's just freaking hilarious. Like it's so, so funny. The screaming, like the, the general vibe of it, like the point of it, like right. you like religion, you like TV, you're filler, like just yelling at <laughs> the person. It's great. It is. And I, what I love is that they, they thought everyone was going to love this. They're like, this is the this is the note that brings about the harmonic convergence of the spheres. You know, I just think it's so I just think it's so charming that the music this insanely abrasive. They were like, why isn't everybody digging it? (laughs) It's funny to me, though. You like this at the right age. Basically, I didn't really listen to this kind of music until until I got to know you. And and then by the time you're in your 20s, at least for me, it was like it was already too late um i dig it i dig the vibe i'm pro passion and emotion in pretty much all forms and so this is clearly passion and emotional music so that makes me really happy um but i can't imagine like it's crazy to me that there, yeah, there's a period in your time your life jeff where you were like well that's that spoke to me that, yeah that expresses <laughs> what's going on inside me like, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's actually there's a great moment in the rush documentary where um the guy from Smashing Pumpkins, whose name just fell out of my head. Who's the main guy from Smashing Pumpkins? Oh, Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan is uh, saying like, there was a moment when I sat my, my parents down and I played them Entre New from Rush's, uh, the record with Spirit of Radio on it because yeah. the lyrics to that song explained how I was feeling in a way that I couldn't express to them and they couldn't hear from me. And so I gave them the lyric sheet and sat there in silence while wow. they listened to Entre New because I couldn't connect with them. And Minor Threat, in a many ways, if somebody's like, well, what's going on in your head while you're sitting there in algebra class? I could have been like, this. This, this is, is what I hear while I sit here in this algebra class. This is like, this is the kind of like confused fury I am bottling up on a semi-hourly basis. So, wow. So I'm really grateful I found it because it gave me an yeah, outlet. Right. I, I picked up, you know, I picked, I started playing and, uh, and I, I didn't get in any fights, I think, because I had this 
to keep me from doing that. It, so. it, it's surprising to me that that the Clash are the same genre as what I just heard. You know how? how oh, let alone X. I mean, like that was yeah. right. That's a how do really you, how do you box. account for that distinction? Like, well, this what is I think people would say punk? this is the beginning of what gets called hardcore punk. That this is American okay. hardcore, right? And so. Uh, this and uh, this kind of 500 miles an hour and a and a, um, a a shout a shout sung approach rather than actual melodies make it different, you know. Is like this, so, that's the, the I would say that's the difference between the Clash and uh, X and this is like this is this is intended to be a wall of a, a wall of aggression. It's so, just, it's designed. So Ben, when you were under the stairs, this was the song that your buddy was like. Okay, this might be too much for you. Let, let me go to the class. He was all about the British, the first wave punk. Right, right. I, yeah, but I, mean, but I would imagine as... he eventually came around to this. I don't know the answer. I bet. And then yeah. the, what, the way life comes full circle in ways that I just love is I was in the Phoenix airport uh, waiting for a flight when B was a really little girl and I'm pushing her around in a stroller. And I, I mean, I'm in full yacht rot dad mode, right? Like I've got like the frumpy t-shirt and like, I've just come off a flight and I'm like bleary eyed and B is like in a stroller, like bah, bah, bah. and this guy comes around the corner and he's got like those earrings that create the giant holes in your ear. Yeah. And he's got like a big mohawk and he's got like a little angry backpack that probably has like the anarchist's cookbook in it and a minor threat t-shirt. Nice. And I just wanted to stop him. I'm like, Oh, aren't they the greatest? I mean, I used to listen to them all the time. And I just, in fact, in fact, I went to the prom with the with the bass player's younger brother. Like, I mean, I, aren't, they, aren't they cool? And I wanted to I wanted to ruin his whole life. And instead, he looked me up and down and was like, "Ugh!" and kept walking. <laughs> but I love that minor threat is for both of us. You know? That is awesome. Hey, All so right. Jeff, the great, not the good, but the great Sean Colvin lyric. I was angry back then. Yeah. And you know, I still am. Yep. Is that like what have you done with all that aggression? Like, have you worked through it in therapy or are you like, is that like, does the, does the, the, like, so the, all of the versions of Ben Barton, like the 13 year old, the 15 year old, the 17 year old, the 19 year old live somewhere within the adult Ben Barton. You know what I mean? Like I can yeah. still channel. One of the reasons I go to Bonnaroo every year is as a bone, just throw a bone to 16 year old Ben Barton. <laughs> That's a good question. I guess, uh, I mean, I guess on stage and then I guess uh, maybe maybe spending time with that teenage rage from the other side of the desk all day and, right. and helping it find a better expression than just beating each other up helps me let it go, too. I don't know. I will think about that. It's a great question. But I'm right. probably going to listen. I'm probably going to listen to Minor Threat on the way home tonight. That's <laughs> for sure. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I just love your description of them at the beginning where they're just finding their way in this uh, in this medium that they've chosen. It it reminded me of our podcast, just trying to figure it out as they go totally. and bringing the world together, Timmy. And and that's bringing why we're so big in together. Ireland. And doing it in a creepy basement. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, gentlemen, you done well. But sometimes the best album is right in front of you and you need not go searching when Stephen Ray Perry, born in 1949 in Hanford, California, is there ready to sing for you 
Let's go, Jeff Simons. Don't stop believing. Escape by journey. I told you we were missing journey and now we get it. Wait, who is this? <laughs> Just a small town girl. Where's he from, Ben? She <laughs> took the midnight train going anywhere. Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. That was a minute. That was tough, Jeff. That was tough. 47 seconds. That was tough. Everybody knows this. It's like, it's like playing happy birthday. And they're like, oh, that one. Right. All right. Quick power ballad. Open arms. Somewhere in the middle. Oh, God. Okay. Hold get on. Your, get your, um, your Bic lighters ready. Okay. Here we go. Right in the middle. Open arms. Timmy, what were you thinking, man? God, this sucks. Oh, this is a power ballad. Oof. You know what I kind of like is Stone in Love. The second song yeah. in this record is kind of cool. Let's do it. Go ahead. I like, I like the cowbell could... in that. All right, here we go. Those crazy nights crazy I night. do remember in my youth. I do recall. Wow. Those Took a long I time before we get drums. Most Here they come. What a voice. It's a great Best voice. Best voice I in disagree. Uh, rock music. How music? you sound oh, like Getty voice. Lee and you like that voice? They're the same voice. That's actually really no. funny. I was what? gonna, I was gonna wait. They and are let the you same your voice. Own How dare you, sir? How ben dare you? They are there. the same. They Gold the same. and pewter is what they are. That's <laughs> totally oh. different. That's super tough. That really hurt my feelings. Oh, that's really um, funny. So here's my question: Is is uh, is Journey really all that different or better than Foreigner that made Dude. the Foreigner Four record? Because that's yeah. a better record, isn't it? It's got Urgent and Dirty yeah, White Hero. Boy and Jukebox Hero. And uh, uh, I've been waiting for Great. a girl like you. Great album. This, um, so I did, I tried to make this point to the girls. That, that song, the first one, the Don't Stop Believing, yeah. was in Glee. And it's it's the it's one of the 10 classic rock songs that literally know. everyone knows. Yeah. And, yep. and Glee basically did it. And so I was like, oh, like that, that was like, that song sucks. <laughs> I was like, you want to hear a hilarious song for that same air? And I tried to explain urgent to them and just, just crickets, just nothing. D-O-A. They had imagine, no luck. Imagine if Glee had done Jukebox Hero and that became a resurgent hit. Jukebox Hero is weirdly slow. That song's incredibly slow. But Urgent, I think Urgent's great. That's got that un unacceptable sax solo. I love it. Dude, I can hum. An entire sax solo. I memorized it. I can whistle it. I love that. 
I mean. Also, how many records are you going to choose with spaceships on the cover, Tim? <laughs> I think you're done. I think I'm you can't have any more spaceship Definitely cover not. records. First of all, 2008 is the Arrival soundtrack. That's what we can look forward to. <laughs> I'm going to find another spaceship in my journey. That'll be a really fun Google album. How did I get Boston? On I can't believe you didn't choose Boston's first I record. I know. That's a mistake. Uh, but I tell you what, nothing makes me think of being well there was another album i was i was thinking about of being 11 years old of being in uh gosh mr walsh's class and i i remember singing with a bunch of guys jay giles oh dude, oh, yeah. has got a yeah. bunch and men at work Freeze came frame. out this year yeah men at work, Freeze business frame. as usual there's a lot so of fun. like big fat hits that aren't that are that have held up yeah well <laughs> by, by the way you, journey because they had a spaceship Fair enough. Well, you know, ZZ Top's Afterburner is coming up with the Eliminator cars in outer space. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. That counts. Excellent. <laughs> All right, fellas. Let's get uh, let's get on with our lives. Y'all teaching tomorrow? Uh, no, I'm uh, I am uh, celebrating the uh, Jewish holiday. Oh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Excellent. Ben Barton? Nah, man, I teach Monday and Wednesday. I Monday, Tuesday, what? Wednesday. Then Thursday oh, and Friday, really? I, I write and work from home. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do work. I'm not going to say anything about my colleagues, but I actually do work, I promise. Okay. Okay. I got uh, I to gotta look into this uh, college gig you got. You going. really do. We really have to yeah. look into the college gig. We are working right. too hard. I will uh, see you all next week in 1982. That'd be great. Is this our this our regular time now? Should we book it, Dano? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yep. Wednesdays eight thirty. If anybody Please. else wants to join, that's where we'll be. Yeah. Wednesdays eight thirty. Actually, let's we'll let's have a live session. Those are Sometime. fun. All right, we're gonna we're gonna come up with a live session in the next three weeks. Maybe in eighty three when we have our guest. Or maybe when uh, you guys come visit, we can sit around one computer and do it uh, live in I the don't same know room. If it's all right. I love you guys are like, maybe not. <laughs> oh, no, dude, I bought my tickets. I'm coming. But I knew that I was like, I didn't want to put any pressure on Timmy. And he's oh, like, Timmy uh, can't make it. He's got a lot of All right, y'all. All right, my friends. Love you both. Love you all. Well done. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.